Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see so many of you here, even though we are in the summer season. Welcome to Gas Street. My name is Hannah, and I've got the privilege of helping to close out this wonderful mini-series that we've been doing with my friends here today, and they're going to introduce themselves in a moment. So let me just make sure we've set the scene and we know where we've got to. If this is your first week here, you are really welcome. I'm going to give you a little recap as to what we've been doing in the mini-series the last couple of weeks, Justice, Mission and Me. So a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Esther Rye, who did a brilliant job reminding us, challenging us, provoking us, that actually to love God is inseparable from loving and serving his people. That was a key point she made, that it's like two sides of the same coin. We love God, we love others, we serve others. And that is an inseparable part of following Jesus. It was a strong, challenging message that it's for all of us. It isn't an add-on. It's not a selection that we can take from when we feel like it. It's actually a reflection of following Jesus. And then last week, if you were here, James Levy was talking to us about justice being a key part of God's heart. So the first part was that idea of it's, it's um, loving God and loving others is the same thing. But actually, that if you look at the heart of God, if you look at the character of God throughout the whole of the Old and the New Testament, that idea of freedom and justice is who he is. Uh, and, and James kind of took us through a catalogue of scriptures. It's worth listening back to as to how we can see that throughout the story of God and his people. Uh, yeah, go and have a look at that. He also made us sing a 1990s worship song. So if any of you were here last week, that was an interesting little throwback, uh, especially for those of us who knew it the first time round. <laughs> Trigger. So uh, yeah, great to be with you all. We have now got the wonderful opportunity to hear from three friends of mine who are going to share some of their story. And as you listen in, can I just kind of say as a pre-thought be ready and open for what the Holy Spirit might want to be saying to you. This is not just a, oh, let's just sit back and have a listen. It's a, it's a preach in a different style. It's an opportunity to hear the Word of God in a different format. So every single one of us here, can I just say, just, just take a moment to say, Holy Spirit, what might you want to say to me? I've, I've been part of the panel already once this morning, and I felt so provoked in a really wonderful way by what was being said. So maybe let's just pray before we start. Holy Spirit, you are here, you are amongst us, you are with your people and you don't go on holiday. You are just as bothered about our response to you, our relationship with you in the summer as you are every other month of the year. And so as we stop now to spend some time digging into your word and our lives, Lord, I ask that we would be sensitive to what you're doing. I pray for everyone here today who thought they were going through the motions of coming to church um, would stop and say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Suspend, Lord, all the other stuff that's going on in our lives and our, the juggle and the responsibilities. Just suspend that, Lord, right now as we meet with you and listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so without further ado, let's get cracking. Um, what we're going to try and do today, everyone, is we're trying to ground out practically what we've heard. So we are going to be referring to scripture and what it looks like, but the idea is that every one of us gets a bit more of an idea, well, what does all this mean for me? So before we get going, I'd love each of you to say who you are and what you do in a sentence or two so everyone gets to know who you are. Start with you, Joe. Well, hello, everybody. Um, my name is Joe. Um, if we haven't met, please come and say hi after the service. It'd be great to chat to you. Um, and I'm part of Just Love UK, which is a national movement um, that exists to equip university students to pursue Jesus and justice with the whole of their lives. Um, our movement's made up of 23 student groups from down in Falmouth to Aberdeen and here in Birmingham. And these groups exist to volunteer in their local communities, to raise funds for charities across the world, and then campaign around justice issues. It's something I love. I've been part of it as a student, and I'm now part of the staff team. Hi, everyone. My name's Olivia, and I run a children's charity called Kids Club Kampala. We support vulnerable children and families in slum communities in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda, which is in East Africa. Um, and I was involved with setting up the charity about 15 years ago now. Um, and what Kids Club Kampala does is we both practically meet people's immediate needs. So we run food banks, we do lots of child protection work, we help people have access to shelter and clothing, but we also work on long-term solutions to help end poverty through education and vocational training and income generation. And everything that we do is underpinned by um, sharing the good news of Jesus with people that we come into contact with. Good morning, afternoon, everybody. Hello. My name's Hope, and I am um, the co-founder of a charity called Aleos. Um, and we are a Birmingham-based charity, and we work with displaced women, um, perinatal women. So that basically means anybody that's pregnant to about kind of six months after they've had a baby. That's the perinatal period. And we work with women that have been trafficked who are leaving domestic violence situations, um, homeless, um, with mental health illnesses, concealed pregnancies, all these sorts of things. And we come alongside them and give them practical, informational, trauma-informed, client-led support um, so it's basically just being a companion to them when they're entering the journey of motherhood. Brilliant. Okay, so let's take that a little bit further now. Let's begin to hear a bit about how your story unfolded. And I know like each of you could probably do half an hour on that each, as could everybody in the room. But let's think about it in the light of your response to what Jesus said, that when we follow him, we are like a light and that light, we don't want to put that light under the table or hide it away. That The idea is that when we have a light, we put it on a stand and everyone can see it so that they glorify their Father in heaven. And part of that for you has looked like your mission and justice journey. So can you tell us a little bit about how you found yourself, where you are today? And we'll pick up some of the threads from there. We'll talk to all of you. So Joe, why don't you start? Yeah, well, for me personally... For a long time, justice wasn't a really core part of my faith. Um, for many people, that's not an option. Justice and questions of injustice is central to their experience, and it's part of how they relate to Jesus. But for me, I kind of thought it was a bit of an optional extra. 
It was an add-on if I was honest. I probably wouldn't have said that, but that's how I lived. And um, it really like, became real to me, I would say, for the first time, um, attending one of Just Love Brum's events. It was actually in the back room, in the youth room. Um, and a bunch of students had invited people from International Justice Mission uh, to talk about modern-day slavery and human trafficking. And hearing some of the stories from these people, it just rocked me. Like, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I think for one of the first times, I couldn't look away. And um, it was a really core moment. I would say that evening, like, rocked my heart. But what kept me engaged was being part of a community through Just Love Brum, where I could learn and, like, engage with justice also with my head. Like, we were thinking about these issues, thinking about what taking effective action looks like and learning and deepening our faith. And then with my hands as well, like being part of a community that didn't just talk about justice, but did it. And we got involved with Let's Feed Brum, um, who do incredible work in our city, and Newbegin Community Trust, who do a lot of community development in Winston Green. They're amazing. Um, so I'd say that justice journey kind of came through that community. It's an ongoing journey. It's still learning and relearning, but that was an important moment, I'd say. Um, for me, ever since I'd been quite young, really, I didn't quite know what it meant at the time and I couldn't really articulate it. But whenever I would see something on the TV or learn about something at school which was related to global poverty, um, particularly children living in global poverty, I just had this kind of... At the time, I didn't know what it meant, but I guess it was the Holy Spirit in me breaking my heart. Um, and... I, I, I couldn't really explain it, but I'd always had, had something um, in me. And when I was 16, I kind of um, powerfully encountered the Holy Spirit for the first time. And in that moment, God just completely, completely broke my heart for the global poor. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, and I, I really felt the Lord was calling me to, to give, give my life um, to that. So when I finished school, um, my friends were going off to university and I descent, decided to spend a year overseas serving God and serving the poor. And I didn't know what to do or where to go. I just, I just simply prayed, God, use me and send me wherever you want me to go. Um, little did I know that's quite a dangerous prayer to pray. Um, and I ended up in Uganda. And um, I'd been in, in Uganda for um, a few weeks. Um, and one day, some really good friends of mine invited me into the slum communities um, in Kampala, in, in the capital city. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd seen and experienced poverty, but nothing really prepared me for, for what I saw when I stepped into those slum communities for the first time. Just seeing... Um, um, children and families living in really, really difficult situations, um, children very malnourished, you know, picking through rubbish tips, looking for something to eat, um, just sort of the sanitation issues and all sorts of things. And my incredible Ugandan friends shared with me their heart and their vision for these children, that even though they live in such difficult situations, that God loves them and God cares for them. And so myself and some friends, we simply started just joining in and trying to show a bit of love and a bit of joy and a bit of hope to these children. Um, a few months on, realised that actually more needed to be done. We were telling the children about God, we were having fun with them, but actually these children were really struggling to find food to eat, struggling to, um, there's lots of 
situations with sort of abuse. Um, and I started to look for other organisations and churches or people that could come alongside and support these children. And sadly found that because there's a huge amount of social stigma from children um, living in slum communities, as, as sadly there is um, quite a lot of social stigma globally around urban poverty, um, that there was no one there to help. And I just, for me, I just got so angry. And I remember praying to God and saying, God, I don't want to follow you anymore. I can't believe in a God that allows this suffering and doesn't do anything to help. And I really felt in that moment, God saying, I am doing something and why don't you join in? And um, that was 15 years ago. And I certainly have not done this on my own. I've had an, got an incredible team around me. We've got an incredible team in Uganda. Um, but we're now working with over 300,000 people, um, having, a, having a really big impact. And God has just been so, so kind. Um, so for me... <laughs> <laughs> my journey into... Um, this job is a bit of an odd one. I um, did a music degree, and after that, I was kind of singing in lots of different places, which a session singer, and I um, did a few West End things and a bit of teaching, music teaching. And then um, I had um, three children within the space of 16 months. Can you figure it out? <laughs> Um, they no, they can't. I can see some faces can can't. <laughs> Help, Hope. How did you do that? Twins. Yay. And then, <laughs> and then another one very quickly afterwards. Um, and I found that my husband and I, we very much were quite keen to not be constantly feeding and woken up all times of the night. And so routine was really important. So we figured out how to get our kids in a routine. And, and to cut a very long story short, whenever my friends subsequently had babies and were saying, I'm struggling with this, or what do you think about this? Or she keeps doing this. And I'd be like, try this. Or this is what we did and it worked for us. And I was always there like swaddling up the baby. Like they need to be yes, swaddled. I'm that swaddle. person. <laughs> love a swaddle. Um, I was going to explain what a swaddle is, but it's fine. I, won't, I won't spend that time. Um, and so one of my friends said to me, you are actually acting as a doula, D-O-U-L-A. Um, and I was like, I'd never even heard of it. So I look, looked it up and was like, something in me went, oh, I need to be doing that. That's something I need to be doing. And so I found a course, did the course. All the way through the course, my main thoughts were every woman that is going to give birth should have a doula with them. But what about those women that don't have community, that aren't, you know, they don't have an auntie or a sister or a good friend or someone close by that can um, offer that support, that extra support? Is there anything out there um, for displaced women? So got back to Birmingham and did a bit of research and kind of similar to Olivia's story, I found that there really wasn't anything and the thought wouldn't go away. And so I said to Dave, my husband, what do you think about this? And kind of what do I do with it? And he went, sounds like a charity. And I was like, and, <laughs> but there isn't one. And he's like, I think, I think you need to do it. I think you need to do it. And so I was, um, I got in contact with my friend Amelia that comes here and she's a, a co-director as well. And together we um, 
figured out that it was a charity that it was needed in Birmingham and that there were going to be plenty, plenty of women that would benefit from, from the work that we do. Yeah, I think oh, it's amazing. All of those things deserve a huge clap, but we'll, we'll, yeah. <laughs> However, there's, there's a couple of threads to pick up. I think, I think one is people had that feeling at different points in their life. So for Olivia, you were really young. Hope you're a little bit older. Um, my own story uh, reflects that actually there was something about um, a bit of a moment, like you said, where there was a deposit from God that it is just not fair or right that people live um, in such very different circumstances from one another. And that determines so much of the outcomes for their life. And I was about 17, 18, I think, when I started to engage with that more, more deeply myself. And I'm just looking out. There's loads of young people in the room that it may be that God wants to begin to say something to you that this is not fair, this is not right, this is part of your response. And, and also, there may be some of you who are much older or even retired, and God wants to say, now this, now this. So I think there's something in that. And I think there's also another thread, which was none of you really had a clue what you were doing. I mean that in a nice way. <laughs> you just kind of did it. And I think that's so important to be reminded because I think we think people have master plans. I remember Hope you talking because it wasn't that long ago, really. And you were like, I think this is the next step. And you just took the next step and, and so and so and so on. So I think those are really encouraging for everyone listening. So, next thought, I'll come to you, Joe, for this one particularly, but each of you can, can tell me what you think. There's a bit in James, which um, is a bit of a challenging, provoking... James is quite challenging and provoking anyway, but he says, you say you have faith, but you aren't showing it by your actions. And you cannot have faith without actions, and yet your actions do not determine you have faith. And it's hard, and it's a hard ask, but it is really essentially this idea of our faith is outworked also by what we do. And for you, mission and justice have clearly become central and important. Can you talk to us a bit about how that's come about? How does it actually link to your faith? Because we spoke about this in our preparation, the last thing we want to do is to create like a little social action wing which separates either a group of people to do it or it separates it from faith yeah. and living out our, our response to Jesus because that is our difference, isn't it? We could all do things, but we're doing them alongside our faith. So can you tell us a bit more about that for you? So full disclaimer, I love theology. I find it so exciting. I think it, like... Thinking theologically isn't just abstract or academic. I think when we do it right, it leads us to action. And to me, that's so exciting. Like, we're learning about God. Um, and in studying theology, I came across this idea called integral mission. And it's basically this idea that in order to do, like, Jesus-shaped mission, we need both evangelism, making Jesus known, telling people about him, and justice like we need both those things they need to be integrated together if we only do one it's probably because we misunderstood the other and for me i i think that like brought some peace to attention i've been feeling about the balance between those two things and then once i heard about that i just couldn't not see it when i was reading about the life of jesus like i think jesus lived integral mission every step of the way just as one example like, I think it's a pretty famous story of Jesus healing the man with leprosy in Luke 5. 
And I think I'd grown up and thought about that just as like the immediate impact of it on that person's life, but had primarily thought about it in the kind of spiritual miraculous terms. And actually, when we think about what Jesus did in that scenario, he lived out integral mission. He gave a direct revelation to that man of who God was. Like, you probably can't do much more effective evangelism than Jesus being right in front of you, making himself known to you and inviting you into relationship with him. But then he also changed that man's physical circumstances. He saw a need that was there. He addressed it, and that man could go on to live a better life. And then one more step. He changes his social status. Um, in the story, Jesus tells the man after he's healed to go to the priests who can determine him clean. And for me, I was kind of like, what's going on there? What's, what's happening there? The priests, like, they could allow him by determining him clean back into society. So in that miracle, Jesus has made himself known. He's shown his character. He's changed that man's circumstances. And he's allowed him to, like, go back into society and his circumstances be changed. Love that. And I think for us, like, if we're going to be light for the city, it's going to look a bit like that. It's going to be making Jesus known, inviting people in to worship him, but it's also like meeting the needs that they have and transforming the circumstances so that they can like live a flourishing life. It's really good. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, Olivia or Hope, is there anything you want to briefly add to that from Joe? Um, yeah, I just say I completely agree with everything that Joe said. And um, when we when we care for the needs of others, when we put others before ourselves, when we pursue justice, it's an act of worship. And when we do that, we are loving God. Um, and I think that's, it's really critical that it, it, is, it, it comes from a place of love, that we don't sort of do social action or try and bring God's justice so that we can evangelize to people. We are, we, the reason we tell people the good news of Jesus is because we love them and it's the best gift we can give someone. But also the reason that we are called to care for the needs of, of, of the poor or the needs of those around us is because we love them. We're not doing it to kind of fulfill a condition or to, you know, if, if I help you in this way, then you have to accept Jesus. It's, it's a free gift and it's love for everyone. Um, one of my favourite verses is quite a challenging verse, but in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it says, if you see a brother or sister in need and you don't have compassion on them, how is the love of God in you? And I just think it's really really challenging like God is a God of compassion we are called to have compassion on others and everything we do should be out of the overflow of that love and that compassion so whether that is you know giving food to someone that's hungry or or sharing good news of of, of the gospel we do it from that place of compassion and that place of love first and foremost it's really good yeah, and I think uh, just to kind of summarize that there's that reminder as well that by having faith in God um he gives us the ability to love him and love others. And we're not even having to drum it up within ourselves. He can do that for us because it doesn't, it doesn't always come naturally or easily, does it, to, to do that? But he enables us to love him and therefore love others. Okay, so also in Matthew 16, Jesus talks about following him. And, that, and I'm sure there's lots of people in this room that recognize this and have experienced it in their lives that Jesus said, as you follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And uh, he's saying take up your cross because it's costly. And I wonder whether, I'll start with you, Olivia, this time, what has it felt like in terms of cost, in terms of sacrifice? Because we hear a bit of the, 
when people share their stories, the whole point of it is we want to hear that, oh, this is exciting and you've done this thing, but actually it's costly. It, for each of us, when we choose to do something, it can be costly. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, so, so many things I could mention. Um, so when, when I was started setting up the charity, um, I quit my full-time job and I didn't take a salary from from the organization for about five years that was that was really hard um, I was single at the time I was essentially homeless and people just took me in and looked after me and you know I lived by faith and it, it was it was great but it was also really hard um, also it's it's really quite stressful at times. It's hard to switch off. Um, I don't spend as, as much time with my kids as I would like to. Um, and sometimes it can also just be really lonely. Um, you know, feeling I'm doing this thing, people don't quite get it. I think particularly um, when I was younger, not being taken seriously was really difficult. Um, and yeah, it, just feeling quite different to, to those around me. Um, and also, I think something that I found really costly and, and really hard is actually when you step into those dark places and when you step into those broken places and are trying to bring light and trying to, you know, bring the kingdom of God, it can be really, really difficult, both emotionally and spiritually. When we step into dark places, we are engaging with spiritual realm and that is really challenging. Um, but also just emotionally, you know, meeting people who've had such difficult lives and kind of sharing in their trauma is really hard. Um, there, I've had so many amazing stories of, of miracles that have happened, but sometimes there's been big things that we've been praying for and the miracle hasn't come and that's been really difficult. You know, there's been people who I've loved and prayed for and, and you know, interceded for and, and they've died and that's really, really hard. But you know, as Hannah says, Jesus says we are called to take up our cross and we are not called to be comfortable. Um, and it does involve sacrifice and that is just part of the reality of walking with Jesus. And I'd maybe, you know, gently challenge anyone that if you do feel comfortable that you've never felt, you know, any kind of rural area of sacrifice, then maybe that's something to, to pray about. Um, so similarly to Olivia, I think for me the cost has been literally learning how to run a charity because <laughs> I didn't know. I, I still feel like I don't know. Um, so we've just had to fig, you know, figure it out and ask people like Olivia and Hannah and people that have gone before and and just it's a lot of late nights and I'm, I'm you know, not only kind of uh, being there for birth so obviously ba babies tend to not come during the day I don't know what that's about but you know I, I, <laughs> from 30 when a woman's 38 weeks we are on call which means 24 7 we can get a call and we'll we'll go to the hospital to be with her so I go to sleep literally with my phone like this next to my ear um, so obviously there's the physical uh, cost of it but also I've, I've missed out on so many of um, my kids' birthday parties and, and there's things like that. But also I know that they will get scooped up by family members. Like they are, my children are in a position that these women that I work with are not. So there's always um, kind of like a, a play off with, with the cost. Like last night I was up until about two trying to do our trustees annual report. And then when I finished it and pressed send, 
the website was down. So there we go. If you could pray about that, I'd really appreciate it. Um, so it's, it's things like that that you just wouldn't expect. A lot of behind-the-scenes things that you're just sat there learning, trying to figure out, just thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And the reward is, is huge. Joe, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, just coming back to that point about justice being for all of us. Um, I think justice can be done in like the very radical sacrifices, and those stories are like incredibly inspiring. I think it can also be done in some of the like boring inconveniences too. Yeah. And by that, like after that event in the back room on human trafficking and modern day slavery, I was hugely convicted and knew that I had to change my approach to clothing and my consumption in that area because of what I'd heard. And I think that we can all make differences in that space that they're not huge sacrifices, often they can be quite achievable, but maybe need, like, require change from us and make yeah. a difference in that too. And I think that sometimes the, we, we can make a big decision to do a big cost, but actually, we hope and I were talking about this in the break, there is also that daily, weekly inconveniencing that, oh, I don't really want to do that today, or that, that would be much easier, or I haven't really got time for that person, or I'd really just like to talk to my friend. Uh, all those things are costly, actually. They're costly to choose to prefer to include somebody who's alone. It's costly to not just uh, make the decision to um, purchase something in, in a perhaps more straightforward way. So I think all of that is cost. And actually, Jesus sees that, doesn't he? And he sees that cost as, as worship and of, of love to him, I think, as well. On the flip side then, and then Hope will start with you, how has it enriched your life and your walk with Jesus to be involved in mission and justice? Um, I feel as though I'm in such a privileged position because I, I wake up in the morning kind of in the knowledge that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing now. And I would say that I, I use the word now on purpose because tomorrow, I don't know. <laughs> so I feel as though my daily prayer and um, what I've started to do recently is when I take the dog out for a walk, I'm walking through and like prayer walking the Lord's Prayer. So kind of using each line and praying off it. And that's that part of your kingdom come, your will be done has become so crucial to me because I'm, I don't want to do it if it's not your will, Lord. What's the point? What's the point in me? It might look great. It might, I might help a few people, but if it's not your will, I don't want to do it. So just praying that prayer every day um, and then it gives you such a peace and you know that wherever you are, even if you're stuck in traffic and you feel like you're wasting time, you're like, okay, what, what can I, what am I doing in this moment? What is your will in this moment, Lord? And I think that, that peace um, goes beyond understanding, just knowing I'm doing what I should be doing for now. And that's um, a real kind of driver to get me to keep going for the next, for the next day. Yeah. Olivia, what about you? What's been the enrichment? Um, I think for me, the most rewarding part is um, just being able to partner with God and being able to see his kingdom in action. Um, I think when you step out in faith and when you have to literally live by faith, it's 
really exciting. It's hard, but it's exciting because you can actually participate in what God is doing. There's been so many times where we've, you know, been down to the last penny in our bank account on our knees and then we've just had like an anonymous envelope of cash through the door. Um, there's, I remember one time um, we, we were in a community and they were really, really struggling because the rains hadn't come that year and we just um, had this massive time of prayer and worship and then it started raining. Like, it was incredible. Um, and another time... Um, we had organised this big kids camp and um, a part of the kids camp we were providing food for the children and we had this massive saucepan full of rice and all the kids were lining up and we were starting to um, feed them and we budgeted for about 500 kids so we had enough rice in this saucepan for about 500 kids and the kids just kept coming and coming and coming. There was literally children coming out of houses, popping up out of bushes with plates, running over, joining the queue. And I remember just praying. I was like, God, we, we don't have enough food and we don't have enough money to go and buy some more. Like, there's nothing we can do. And we just prayed. And miraculously it just didn't run out and at the end we calculated we counted up and there'd been about 2,000 kids we'd fed that day Um, and it was just an incredible miracle but you know if we hadn't (laughs) and just to say that you know if if um we hadn't kind of stepped out and in faith and prayed, then then maybe we wouldn't have seen that miracle. And, you know, that's, again, that's nothing that I've done. I don't have a particularly amazing faith or anything like that. It's just the opportunity to see what God can do. Because, you know, he's the God that can do more than we can ask or even imagine. What about you, Joe? I think, like, through engaging in justice work, I've had some really like God-given relationships. I think one of the things we talk to our students about a lot is that when you're doing justice, you're not thinking in terms of these people are recipients, but actually that they're image bearers and people you can learn from. And just like getting involved in the breakfast outreach that Let's Feed Brum did during my uni years was probably the highlight of my week. And those people taught me so much. I received so much from them. And I think that when we think about it as something that we do for others rather than something that is yeah. a, a relationship, mm-hmm. we miss out on like God revealing himself through those people. Yeah. Um, so that's something I'd say. It's really good. I think a couple of things I would add to that is that, and I tentatively say this, but Hope and I were discussing this in the break also, that sometimes when we're in challenging or difficult or faith-stretching um, painful times there's a thin place in our relationship with God isn't there I'm sure as I say that some of you will think I know how close God has felt when I've had nothing or anywhere else to go Uh, when you've done things that feel beyond your own capacity you go there and he's there in a way and the closeness that you can feel in those difficult moments is a gift which is why Jesus is close to the brokenhearted, he's close to the grieving, he's close to those and he's comforted. So there's an opportunity to access that space with him, I think. And I think the other thing I was going to say was also that we get to see the whole circle as followers of Jesus that in Isaiah it talks about rebuilding the walls and that those that do that are those who were broken. And so the full circle, as you kind of said with Jesus at the beginning, is that we get to hear the end story, which is that somebody who maybe has been a recipient goes on to be a redeemer and how exciting to have been like any part in that. Any part to play in that is, is wonderful and brilliant. 
So as we kind of ground this out, and we're going to pray for people shortly, I think another really important aspect here is that as I'm looking out across the room, you have your own life. Some of you will be teachers and doctors and lawyers and policemen and midwives and stay-at-home parents and retired people and students and retail assistants and everything else I've not said. And the last thing that we want people to hear from this is that it is go leave your job and do this, although there will be a few people in the room today that there is a 180 change for you and you know that and you're feeling it inside and you haven't responded, so there will be that. But for a lot of you, it will be a two-degree shift, three-degree shift in what your life looks like and if you carry that trajectory, that's quite a different destination. So what would you say to everybody listening in today as they're like, yes, but, and I do this, if we believe mission and justice is every day, all day, normal life, how do you recommend people begin to do that two-degree shift? Let's start with the two-degree people first. Um, I would say this is just something to invite Holy Spirit into um, and think about what unique resources he's given you, what unique strengths he's given you and opportunities he's given you to do justice, whether that's locally in community, partnering with people doing that across the world, or even just like the way that you operate in your personal life, if it's committing to pray for something. Um, I think that would be a first step and then share that with people in your life so that they can hold you accountable and grow together. I think it's good to do that in community. Yeah, I think as well a really good place to start is um, in prayer. And um, all of us are called to pray about mission and justice. Some of us are called to be on the front line running ministries. Some of us are called um, to be advocates, to work in the justice system. We're all called to different things, but all of us, without exception, are called to pray and are called to engage with this. And... Um, I think whatever that looks like for you, just start by saying, God, what do you want for me? God, what are you breaking my heart for? Um, you know, there's so much need in the world. There's so much need in our city. Um, Mother Teresa said, you know, we, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And, and the best place to start is with the person in front of you. So it's just being aware of of the needs around us you know maybe if you're watching the news and there's something you know particularly distressing you know we can't turn on the news these days without hearing stories of war or, or famine or disaster you know it's maybe taking some time to pray through those issues taking some time to pray for the needs of the world equally you can be you know like walking around the city just ask God to open your eyes it's not <laughs> it you can't really go far without seeing people in needs in our city sadly so it's what can we do um you know just practically personally just to help that that person in front of us um is that verse in Micah 6 verse 8 that says um and what would you have me do, Lord? And the reply comes back, to act justly, love, mercy, no. Ooh. And walk humbly. There we go. Have a look. Micah 6, verse 8. And basically, just those, to act justly, 
to love mercy, to walk humbly with God, it's really simple, actually, no matter where you are and what you're doing. And I think if, you ha- if you're a lover of Jesus, we are called to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, where we are, where we are now. We are called to be Jesus in that place. And so I think if we can go about our day, no matter what that day looks like, if we can go about our day knowing that, I am Jesus to this person. I am Jesus to my baby who will not sleep through the night. I am Jesus who, in whatever situation, when we know that, we um, become interruptible. I think that's really important as well. Um, Esther mentioned that the other week. Be interruptible. Be willing to say, God, what is it that you want me to do in this moment? And I think, like you said, Hannah, it's not necessarily the U-turn or the, you know, whatever it is to do a massive job change. It's being Jesus where you are right now. And, And then... If something has to change, you'll know. You'll just know. That's really great. I think, I mean, in a moment, we're going to pray for some people, for as many of you as we can, actually. Um, But I think... I would just add into that. I think one of you mentioned it about listening to as we pray. There are certain things that might particularly break our heart. That doesn't mean you don't care about the other things, but there is, it's overwhelming to feel a sense of responsibility for every possible um, scenario in the world that is difficult. But God wants to place things on our heart. Um, and I, I can, your stories all suggest that. My own story reflects that. So asking him, what is it that you want to break my heart for? And then where do I just begin with that is, again, a really great place to start. What is the thing that I'm here to make a difference for? Mm. I'm going to invite um, Mike and Ronnie to come up in a second. I do want to just, I don't want us to necessarily do a big clap now because I want us to respond. But I, I want to say on behalf of everyone, thank you so much because you have shared your heart. You have followed, you've been obedient to Jesus and he loves that. And you are being hands and feet but we're going to, we want to pray for people this morning and to respond. And I'm going to ask Michael Ronnie to come up to kind of guide us in that. But uh, maybe if you want to stand, everybody, as we do that, we'll, we'll move out the way. I think there's a couple of things I do just want to say as you're, you're preparing to respond. I think there's something in the, what is the 2% change for me? And what is it that the Lord wants to do in me and break my heart for? That some of you just know, you, you don't know what that is. Uh, we'd love to pray for you. Another thing I think is there are a couple of you who you know actually could look like quite a significant change and you need to step forward and tell someone today and be prayed for. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website gastric.org or follow us on Instagram at Church.